Hello, just a quick bit before this week's episode to let you know that we have a Patreon you can subscribe to if you like what we're doing here and you want more of it. You probably already knew that. We don't stop going on about it. What you didn't know is that you can currently get a little free trial so you know exactly what you'd get as part of your subscription. You can head to patreon.com slash whatismusicpod or follow the link in the show notes to get your first seven days free. All you need to do is pick which tier you'd like a free trial of. The Biggest Mates tier is the one that has all the extras in it. And then for seven days, you are free to listen to any episode we've released in the last six months. You can cancel any time or just leave the subscription rolling if you like what you find. It's charged monthly. And during any month, as part of that Biggest Mates tier, you'll get ad-free episodes of this show every Monday. You'll get a brand new episode of our new Manic Street Preacher show every month. Two episodes every month of The Ultimate Playlist, our themed playlist show, where we talk about all kinds of different music, different artists, different genres, different eras, and one or two bonus episodes every month, depending on the length of the month. That's two episodes every week. There's also other tiers to trial. One that is just the Manic Show and ad-free What Is Music episodes, and another that is just ad-free What Is Music episodes. But hey, if the first seven days are free, why not try a bit of everything? Plus, all tiers include access to the exclusive subscriber-only Discord where we discuss the shows, the bands we've covered, various music topics, and loads of other stuff, including some games that the friendly community have devised themselves. So head on over to our Patreon page now to claim your free seven-day trial. Go to patreon.com slash whatismusicpod or follow the link in our show notes. See you there. That'll actually do. We don't need mongoose. To say mongoose. I am. Okay. Wow. A mongoose. What a weird uh, word. It was just the first one that came to my mind. Um. It doesn't. Yeah, it's fine. Yeah. Hello and welcome. No, that's the worst. No, go on. Keep going. Hello and welcome to. Uh, do you love us? The world's one and only Manic Street Preachers podcast. Today we well, are covering. You know, that's completely that's forgetting. Not the intro. That's not the intro. No. The background music's still going, so obviously you haven't done it correctly. Yeah. <laughs> no. <laughs> what try song, it again. What Steve, song are we going to use Steve, this do week? you want to have a go, Steve? Do you want to have oh, a go? Oh, do I want to do it? Yeah. Uh, hello and welcome to Do You Love Us? I am Adam Scott Glasspool. No. Okay. No. Rubbish. Okay. Right, let's hear it from the, let's hear from the master. You, again, Come on. Again, you can tell because the background music hasn't kicked up again. Yeah, yet. and also and that it'll, I've it'll do it when someone gets the. Uh, I've also the intro noticed right. that I said I'm Adam Scott Glasspool, and <laughs> what a that's, silly yeah. mistake! That's not right. That's not right at all. Someone will get it right eventually. I'm sure. Hello and welcome to Do You Love Us, a critical analysis of the history, cultural impact, and music of Manic Street Preachers. I am Adam Scott Glasspool. I am joined, as always, by Steve Murphy. Hey guys! Oh, that's awful. Oh, could we just start again? And <laughs> 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 and Lucas Way. Hey guys. Oh. Hey, that was, that was nice. A lot um, first of all, we should say that if there's any issues with sound quality, it's because we've taken a recording like directly from Zoomus, which we're using to record this because we're all deep in quarantine. We are, yeah. Um, and if you listen to the bonus episode last week, no, it wasn't last week. Now it's ages ago, right? No, no, it would have... Uh, oh, yeah. No, yeah, it would have been last month. Well, we yeah. are really, really ripping apart the wizard's nose. Absolutely. Yeah. Getting right up into his nose. Yeah, yeah. We've got... To, it's very much how the sausage is made. That's not a thing. Uh, nah, that's not an expression. It, it, that nah, that's not an expression. We've got to find the wizard's sausage. Yeah, that's, that's better. <laughs> that's better, yeah, that's it. <laughs> He's hiding it. 
How are you guys? Uh, we're obviously in in quarantine because of coronavirus. Um, yeah. I've got I've got a little bit of a cough, so I've had to self isolate entirely. Yeah, I wasn't well for a little bit. No idea what I had, but um, yeah, I was. I've been inside for a couple of weeks, but mm. it is what it is. I haven't it had to isolate, is. but I'm obviously following the standard yeah. lockdown measures. It's, it's weird fucking times, is what it is. It's very odd, isn't I it? I flip-flop between being odd. like, it's okay, I just have to stay inside. That's not the worst thing in the world. And then being like, oh, I think I'm going to kill myself. Oh, well, <laughs> oh my God. <laughs> I do miss seeing my big mates, is what I do. Uh, yeah, it's very I think... strange the way we're doing this. Well, right now it's fine. And I'm like, hey, okay, this, is, this is fine, I can self-isolate. I mean, uh, I pretty much used to self-isolate before we had to, Steve. <laughs> if you ask so. me, I've been practising social... <laughs> exactly. Yeah. Didn't you already make this joke um, uh, three episodes ago or something? Yeah. Don't think so. Don't think so. Don't think so. And... Uh, but but then I realised that uh, it's going to be for quite a while yeah. that we're at least doing social distancing and it, it becomes a bit much. Yeah, and me, also I, like, I don't know when, whenever this is being released, who knows what is going to be going on at that point, right? Like, yeah, this will this will be released in the middle of April. Yeah, um, so everything will still be like, fucking shit then. In theory, possibly we don't. Disneyland we have no, will we still have no be idea. closed. But this That's is the last time we'll mention it. I think. I think we yeah. Yeah, this is going to be a safe space for those who are struggling uh, to cope with it. That, that's the last that we'll mention of it. But hang on, oh my all, God. All, all my notes about interiors is about being stuck in the interior of my house, though. Is it? <laughs> uh, I do feel sorry for anyone, though, being stuck indoors and listening to us three fucking idiots. Yeah, imagine having nothing to do but listen to this. Yeah, my God. It's <laughs> even worse. I mean, if we did lose I... them after the bonus episode, then it's probably okay anyway. Oh, we have, we have no listeners. So no other... one's listening right now. The episode. other thing worth noting is this is the first session of recording since yeah. we've started releasing episodes. And the huge it amount is. of fame has gone to our heads. Yeah. So yeah. you're going to yeah. notice a, no- a very noticeable change in our demeanor because we're, we're mm. massive now. I'm actually... Well, you're wearing a, a large fur coat. Yeah, well, I, I paid because... for that with all the, the ad money, didn't I? Yeah. yeah I'm yeah. sat in a golden room, um, <laughs> but I'm in, immediately surrounded by 25 mics and candles. Golden room. Texture like... Gold. <laughs> <laughs> to be fair, a golden room would have a texture like gold. Golden brown, texture like golden brown... Yeah, that one. That's, that's the, the lyric. Song. That's the lyric. My girlfriend's favourite band is The Stranglers, so she's going to murder me. Right. Uh, yeah, this is the first time like we've had any interaction, uh, like we, that we've been recording since having any interaction with people who actually listen to the show, and it turns out more people listened than we thought. We Way were going more. To. Um, it's quite surprising. <laughs> you sit. In... I thought it was going to be like my mates would. I yeah. seem to remember giving <laughs> Adam think they would. the predicted number of <laughs> below ten. Yeah, it's slightly above ten. Yeah, no, it's been uh, uh, quite overwhelming. Like, obviously, there's there's criticisms, and and that's great as well because we want to try and make those. Uh, those people yeah. are wrong, though, but they're wrong. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah, they're, exactly. They're incorrect. Exactly. Um, the... Someone told me that the um, that the show was too uh, self indulgent, um, but actually, that's wrong, and it's not. Yeah, um, it's really great. And as long as we're just talking about ourselves, then it will probably exactly. be a good podcast. Some people don't like the waffle, but I mean, 
Go and listen to our episode all about a completely different band instead. (laughs) Yeah. I mean, some people said there was too much waffle, but uh, they're wrong and and there isn't. (laughs) Adam, what do you think about um, Scotland? Um, What? Why? Waffle. I'm probably going to cut that. Nah, out. keep it right in. Let let the people know how unfunny Steve is. Let the people know. <laughs> we should start something where uh, people can text in to vote Steve off the podcast. Yeah, or any. I was going to say, I'm pretty sure I'd be the one who'd get voted off because yeah. the people who generally listen to our podcast are Manic Street Preachers fans, and I imagine my opinions are making them increasingly unhappy by the day. I think people were somewhat uh, surprised by your opinions on the Holy Bible. Yeah. Uh, especially when you gave it three stars out of ten. Three, yeah. Uh, mm. The thing is, mm. wouldn't this podcast be boring if Lucas wasn't on it? Yes, I mean, a lot. some of the criticism has been that we have Lucas on the podcast at all. And I've got to say, I agree with those people. I don't know why he's here. What? Yeah, I mean, but he is, and we've just got to deal with it, haven't we? And as long as that um, ad money keeps flowing in, exactly. I'm stay. All the ads, yeah. The untold oh riches. I don't think we should have an advert every 15 seconds, but, you know, we've got to make some money, right? Yeah, you've got to make some money. If you're not making over uh, £3,000 per episode, you're not mm-hmm. even really podcasting at this point. Promo code Mannix. Promo code Mannix. It's been really nice to get uh, to get to uh, talk to people on the Twitters, though. Uh, well, it's been yeah. it's been nice to talk to most people. We've also had to talk to Steve Burnett, which uh, you know <laughs> our, our number one fan slash nemesis, who uh, I can't work out whether he hates listening to us or he loves listening to us, and I don't think he knows either. Amazing. <laughs> so uh, someone on but... someone on Twitter got in touch and told me that they uh, turned it off halfway through. The first episode, but they weren't clear on whether or not that was a mistake. Uh, so I don't know if they deliberately <laughs> we'll meant. Say it again. <laughs> I don't know if they deliberately meant to turn us off halfway through, or they just yeah. pressed the wrong button and then couldn't work how to get it back on. And they were just uh, going to you for tech right. support. Yeah, I think so. They sent me a tweet. So I had to, I, I turned it off halfway through, and I I don't know <laughs> I don't know if they want support with that well, or yeah. I mean, it can't be anything to do with the fact they didn't like it, right? It, it can't be because they, they couldn't find the pause button, <laughs> the, the unpause button. Exactly, exactly. Mm. Uh, we've also had some messages that for some people this is their first ever podcast listening experience. Yeah, imagine that. I'm so sorry. No, that's great, isn't it? Like uh, because you know that's the only context they have. Yeah, but then they're gonna listen to other podcasts maybe and go, "Oh, that's what a podcast is supposed <laughs> to be like." <laughs> Exactly. Well, then we're just helping out other podcasts, aren't we? <laughs> we're just making them, you know, we're, we're making providing them a service. Better. Yeah, absolutely. Now it's been really, really nice. Um, it's it's quite an odd thing because yeah, we, we sit in a room together or not so. At the yeah, moment. or the three separate. And we record rooms. a silly little thing, doing really brilliant Bruce Springsteen jokes together. Jesus Christ! And then, um, but yeah, you forget that other people are going to listen to it. So yeah, it's been quite humbling. It's nice. Yeah, I mean, it's it's nice to have this kind of like pat on the back. But you've got to remember that uh, a few weeks ago we released an episode on Lighthouse Family, and now nobody's <laughs> listening anymore. So it doesn't really yeah. make any difference. We gained a new listener though, which presumably was my dad. Yeah, okay. Yeah. Hi, Kev. I guess hey. our one what? download for this month. <laughs> Amazing. There you go. All right, guys. What are we doing we ha- today? Well, we haven't actually uh, we haven't mentioned what the podcast is. We're going 
episode by episode, album by album, track by track on the band Manic Street Preachers. Me, because I'm a big fan of Manic Street Preachers. Steve, because you're a medium fan of Manic Street Preachers. No, I'm a medium. And Lucas, because you're a little fan of Manic Street Preachers. <laughs> um, I'd say even that's a bold statement. <laughs> well, so far you've not really been a fan, have you? Although I, from the tentative whisperings of our group chat, I understand that you quite like this album that we're covering today, Lucas. I'm not going to spoil a thing. Okay, well, we're obviously covering everything. Must also, go. I wouldn't say oh, I've been that okay. negative. I've I've given the albums a uh, five. Poor scores. A five, a <laughs> yeah. six, and a three. No, you're right. That is overwhelmingly positive. Well, that's not overwhelmingly negative. A five is average. A six is a touch above average. I think we should clear up, though. When Adam said you're a little fan of the Manic Street Preachers, you're only two foot tall. That's true. Yeah, that is also true. Mm. And it's all chin. <laughs> that, that means nothing if no one knows it means what absolutely nothing giant anthropomorphic chin talking to us looks like um we're also very close to the release date of this episode which means that i've forgotten how to do this show because we're we're at the end of march and that we last recorded in the middle of january yeah that's true and then and then we're doing it over the internet which is just weird in its own so what are we doing how do we do this i don't know uh, we listen to reasons. songs. We, 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 we normally talk about Muse for about 10, 15 minutes. That is true, yeah. so, <laughs> oh, that feedback's been really good, and people want more Muse people chat. Yeah, people do Muse. want more Muse chat. It's so, weird that, yeah, overwhelmingly. Yeah. yeah. I mean, Steve, what's your opinions on uh, their second most recent album, Drones? I couldn't give a fuck. Oh, who nah. gives a fuck about drones? <laughs> <laughs> I just, uh... A sentiment shared by many. (laughs) (laughs) Well, it's good that we're 12 minutes in and we've managed to get uh, a Muse reference in already. Um, Catch us up on the history of the Manic Street Preachers, Lucas. Right. We've got some members whose names are James Dean Bradfield. What does he do? What does he do? What does he do? Lead singer and lead guitarist. He's on lead singer. He's on the lead singer. He rides him around the stage. (laughs) That must be Uh, Nicky James. We have Nicky Wire, who is the bassist and backing vocalist and lyricist. Sure. Now primary lyricist. We have, we did have Richie Edwards on rhythm guitar and and lyrics, but no Mm. longer. Yes, mm-hmm. that was, and we've yeah. got the legendary Sean Moore on yeah. drums, yeah. and also helping with writing the song names. Yes, that's correct. Uh, a lot of people have been really enjoying our Sean Moore jokes as well. I'd like to point out. I don't think what Sean Moore jokes? jokes. I mean, all yeah. the Sean Moore jokes we've been making. I think people, <laughs> people really enjoy them. But the problem is, we can't keep going. We we really can't shoehorn more. <laughs> oh my God, was that the one? Was we really it? can't shoehorn more. Wait, say it again. We can't shoehorn more. Brilliant. Actually, oh do you God. know what? That's really good because when you first said it, I only heard more. But I've just realised that shoehorn is so close to Sean. Yeah. Shoehorn more. <laughs> we can't what, possibly you... shoehorn more. Yeah, we can't shoehorn more. Oh, God. Very good. Very yeah. good. Mm. So uh, what, but what's been happening in the band though, Lucas? Uh Nicky went missing. No. Nope. He didn't though, did he? <laughs> no, he didn't. He didn't. Ricky went <laughs> missing. Ricky? Ricky oh, went missing. No, Ricky went missing. No, he didn't. Yeah, he did. No, he didn't. What do you mean no he didn't? Because there's no one called Ricky in the band. Ricky Lucas. went missing, alright? <laughs> 
Uh, Richie Edwards went missing. Uh, very sad. Very sad uh, after a yeah. troub- some troubled time and an album which was look- a look into his troubled, troubled soul. Which also you said you would re-listen to after we'd done the last episode. Now, and I have. And Ooh, any okay. change in thought at all? I respect it more. Okay. Because I get what it's going for. Yep. I saw someone, I think on the Forever Delayed forum, described it as a uh, immovable monolith of an album yes yeah that's that sounds, nice yeah. uh and i I like, I like that that's good does the uh, fact that you now respect it a little bit more but don't really necessarily like it uh any more than you did does that increase the score for it at all you just want me to give it a better score to make the fans come back to listening to this podcast. that's not true i'm genuinely interested if respecting a piece of art over liking it makes you appreciate it more this was my whole concern with the rating it in the first place, though, wasn't it? Because there's how much do I enjoy it and listen will listen to it? Yeah, versus... so, you, so you try and find the balance between those two. I mean, if I gave, uh, what's the first album called again? Generation Terrorists. Jesus. A five. I feel like it is. A li- I feel like a four would be fairer. Okay, so we have we have raised it, but from but three well, no. Here's the four. thing. I would actually like to go back and change every one of my scores. Okay. Do you know what? Go on, then. Because (laughs) I don't like that Generation Terrorist is my baseline of five. Okay. Go on, then. Change them. (laughs) So instead, instead of being three, five, and six. That's not the order they were in. It's five, six, and three. Okay, sorry. Five, six, and three. Fine. I'm going to go with... Four, five, and four. Okay. So, okay. I mean, it's... So, hang on. So, okay. Generation Terrorists and uh, Holy, Holy Bible, Bible are equal to you. Yeah. And then you like God Against the Soul a little bit more to give it, like, a five out of ten. Yeah, because the problem is... Well, I'm... I'm, I'm and it is a peeling, problem. I'm peeling back the wizard sausage a little bit, <laughs> but... Ooh. But Ooh. I... That's based smart. on the score, I will end up giving this album... Yeah. What I'm concerned about is if I like an album too much more than Generation Terrorist and say I gave an album an eight, right? Sure. I'm putting it up there with some of my favourite albums. Some of your favourite albums are only an eight out of ten. Well, yeah. Like, some of my favourite albums are only an eight out of ten because ten is perfection. I'm quite strict with grading. You things. do rate like, very low. Yeah. yeah you I'd... did give Lighthouse Family's Greatest Hits a ten out of ten. Well, yeah, infinitely. but that's absolutely <laughs> that's, deserved. That's a good point. And so, so that's I... perfection for you. Yeah, and so... Very, very, very few albums to me get a 10. And so that's the problem, that some of my favourite albums get an 8. And so then I'm worried that if I gave something like an, a Manix album an 8, I'm not ever going to be saying I like it as much as that Why favourite album. Why does that worry you? Because I, I want it to be fair. And so actually, it should be an 8 as far as Manix go, but not in terms of my overall pantheon of music. So you're telling us that you're, you're going to give Everything Must Go an 8? No, no, no. That's not what I'm saying. I'm just saying hypothetically. Uh, right. I'm going to give everything must go an 11. But that's more than 10. <sighs> yeah. Yeah, that is more than 10. So, um, so, so far we've covered on this podcast. Can I just change 11... my ratings to yes, no, and maybe? <laughs> yeah, done. No. What would be the Adam, point in the maybe just, rating? Just let him, just let him have <laughs> it. All right. Okay. Fine. Or there's another this podcast. Is... There's another podcast I listen to which rates movies, and every movie can only be rated as best movie ever or worst movie ever. Right. And I quite like that because you're essentially saying yes or no. 
Okay. Okay. So then what's a <laughs> five out of ten? Well, that's the problem. It means you can't sit on the fence and give it a five out of ten. You've got to make a fucking statement and say it's yes or a no. Well, that's very unrealistic. I'm not happy with this number. With your shut up, Lucas. And so far, right. for me, then they would be <laughs> yes, up, yes, have we even, no. Shut up, have we even said which? Shut up, um, Lucas. Al- have we even said which album we're covering yet? Probably. Everything must Holy, go. This is Holy Bible Part Three, isn't it? <laughs> oh, yeah. 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 This is Lighthouse Family. Do you like House <laughs> Family Part Eight? But to get to your original point, I do enjoy. Uh, the Holy Bible more but I don't still find it an enjoyable album to listen to but I do appreciate it and respect it more but cool. I will rarely imagine myself in the mo- in the mood to bang it on in my car sure I'm the same so I'm the same four out of ten yeah <laughs> a deep amount of respect for the album mm. it's um, like I said I enjoy it in the same way I think listening, uh, reading Richie's album would be very interesting not album reading Richie's diary would be interesting and that's like what that album is yeah, that's fair enough. Um, fair enough. Anyway, we've done the Holy Bible episode. We don't need to litigate it further. It's the be- yep. one of the best albums ever made, and we all agree. So let's nah, just move <laughs> on. Let's just move on from it. Did we agree? Um, obviously. Six out of- what did Steve give it? An eight, Steve right? Steve gave it an eight, mate. Yeah. Which is better than six out of ten, the best thing he's ever heard. Yeah, let's once not. again just, we've, now, move we've figured out on this podcast that eleven is more than ten, <laughs> and eight out of ten is better than six out of ten. Great, but but six is at, but, but six, six out of ten is the, is the best thing you've ever heard. Yes, it is. Yeah, it's not a, um, a not a watertight system, is it? Yeah, yeah. It's almost like that bit's gone on too far. Let's move on. <laughs> Let's move on. That's what we should do. Uh, Lucas, continue catching us up on what has happened. They released the Holy Bible. Yeah, uh, Richie was having increasing personal issues, mm. anorexia, uh, general unhappiness, understatement. Uh, he got checked into the Priory for a bit and then he came back out and then he spiralled some more and then he went missing. Yes, that's and a pretty car, good... And his car was found. Yeah, that's a pretty good point of history and it's actually more or less where we uh, picked them up, which is not the cheeriest of places to start, but um, there's a real kind of uh, transformation amongst the band, I think, that happens here. Uh, shall we start with a bit of a bit of history, a bit of context. Let's put the album in context, which is something that we love to do here on uh, mm. whatever this this podcast is is called. <laughs> do, uh, you love us? do you love us? Us, of course, yeah. being Manic Street Preachers and not the hosts. I must point that out every single time. I was talking to my friend about this, and they were like, "Oh, um, what what's that? What's your podcast you do? Is it called?" Please like me, which I think is a much better <laughs> I mean, name. That's the vibe of the podcast, yeah. <laughs> yeah. if not the title. Okay, so we're at the beginning of 1995. Richie went missing in February of 1995, which uh, the press, as you can imagine, absolutely lapped up. I bet. Uh, yeah. It became quite intrusive. Um, the media's sort of favourite angle is that he jumped from the Seven Bridge, although there is... Uh, very little evidence of that, um, but also that this kind of rock and roll myth sort of thing was very present in the uh, the media at, at at this time, and it was something that was kind of in the water. I mean, a, a lot of people drew comparisons with Nirvana. Kurt Cobain had taken his own life the year before um, yeah. Richie went missing. How old was Richie? 
at the time of his disappearance, I think yeah. he was about twenty six, twenty. I think he would have been twenty seven because I think he. Oh, so yeah, I was wondering if he was he in the qualifies club. for the twenty seven yeah. club. Yeah, is not mm. obviously you know the most famous member of the twenty seven club, but I think he does no. qualify. And I hate that that is a club. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> like, it's, it's awful. Yeah, but it's it, horrible. It, but it, it is, is a nice shorthand, I suppose. Well, I mean, you know, young men with mental health issues. Yeah. In their late twenties, they are they are kind of the most at risk for suicide. Um, so, uh, oh, we're we're really on on route to another fun episode. Who is it's the most famous fun, person in the Twenty Seven Club? It's I guess got to be Cobain. Kurt Cobain, right? Or Jimi Hendrix. But thank you for after I said I don't like talking about this, asking me follow up questions on it. <laughs> yeah, well, I mean, who else is in that club? Amy Winehouse. Yeah. Um, the list goes on. You in a minute. The list goes on. Uh, there was uh, obviously a lot of people wrote about it. I want to I want to um, read a quote from the April 1995 edition of Melody Maker, which I think just kind of uh, gets it. It gets kind of what, what was what's going on here. It says Nirvana were all about certainty, certainty of failure, certainty of success, a certainty about the workings of the rock and roll machine. The Manics, on the other hand, are all about doubt on every fucking level, even down to Richie's sexual ambiguity, which is why it's so horribly appropriate that Kurt shot himself and Richie just went missing. Wow. And I think that that is uh, something that we kind of touched on in the last episode, that it feels very Manics, that there is no definitive conclusion, there is no closure, and it's all just a bit kind of, kind of sad. Yeah. Which also taps into this whole thing about that the press was talking about about the nineties having a kind of culture of despair. Obviously, we've talked about Kurt Cobain and Richie, but also kind of Pearl Jam arising to more fa- fame and their kind of gloomy rock. I don't know if you guys listen to a lot of Pearl Jam. Nope, well, it's grunge. Yeah, but they're very, they're very much on the gloomy end of the spectrum. I mean, you've got in March nineteen ninety five, you've got Radiohead's The Benz. It's coming out yeah. a kind of infamously gloomy rock album, and they're only two years away from OK Computer, which kind of mm-hmm. epitomizes that '90s uh, despair. Just to put it into the context of other musical things that are happening in 1995, the, <laughs> the summer of 1995 is between um, definitely maybe and what's the story? Morning Glory. So Oasis are kind of at the height of their power. Yeah, Blur is just Power. about to release the the Great Escape, um, yeah. and this is the year uh, I think that you have Country House versus was it Roll with It? You know the battle the battle for uh, the number yeah. one slot between Blur and Oasis. They were released on the same day. The famous one, right? Yeah, the, the Britpop War, basically. Yeah, Pulp's Different Class is about to come out in 1995. Suede had released Dogman Star and was still touring that. So like Britpop is an absolute fever pitch and i think that that is why this album was so successful when it did come out i'm talking about everything must go yeah because even though the manics are still part of uh the alternative and actually i don't think that everything must go has a ton in common with those other records um it does kind of ride that wave of Britpop that is set up in like late you were also kind of I don't know how to put this, but just saying that they almost became slightly boy band like in the yeah. in the same way that Oasis <laughs> and Blur were were these like male icons. I suppose that not so much those bands. 
But th- that, no, that I, complete, into I that, completely right? agree with you. Yeah, I, I feel like the music you. definitely starts to go more in that direction. Though. Well, it's a more mainstream sound, isn't it? Everything yeah. 100%, yeah. And well, I guess we're getting on to talk about the album a little bit, but that, that's fine. Um, uh, I, I just think that they they kind of hate that it got lumped in with Britpop. Oh, right, and, okay. Like, uh, they, did, they did a 20th anniversary Everything Must Go tour, and uh, James Dean Bradfield took great delight in saying from stage things like at the time of Britpop but we weren't fucking part of it yeah um, sure and I think the same happens to The Verve and Radiohead um, where actually the attention the attention kind of moves to them post Britpop in 1997 mm. and the same things same thing happens with Manchester Preachers actually all, the most of their kind of acclaim and popularity or well certainly popularity and awards comes after Britpop from kind of like 1997 onwards but the thing about Everything Must Go is that this is basically the Manix album, I think. Do you think you would agree? Uh, yeah, this is this is the Manix that I remember from when I was younger. Um, or this is certainly my... It, yeah, a Design for Life. Like that, uh, That's got to be a lot of people's first song they ever heard of them. Exactly. Um, it's, it's a pretty big... As a non-Manix fan, didn't know about them before... And then, you, but you couldn't get away from a design for life when it was released. It was just everywhere. I imagine it was on now. That's what I call music, you know, that kind of thing. Um, and it was certainly played to death on the radio, as a lot of this album probably was. Um, I think Joe Wiley was a huge advocate for this album, and she probably played it. Is it Joe Wiley? Around that time. Yes, this is definitely kind of the, uh, like I said, the Manix album. When people think of the Manix Street Preachers. This is usually the sound that they are associating them with. This is what I expected when we first started this podcast. And I said, you know, what I imagined Manix to be and why I was so surprised by what Generation Terrorist was is because this is what I expected. Yeah. Yeah, I was talking to one of our friends um, about it, Tizard. There we go. Cool. Hi, he Tizard. got his shout out in the end, didn't he? he got his little shout out. He loves a shout um, out. Oh, he loves, loves a little out. shout out. Shouts out. Christopher um, Tizard. And he's... Yeah, he he's been listening to it and um, the podcast, and yeah, he just didn't expect them to have so much edge and and stuff, um, and and knew none about the previous to this album, I guess. Mm. Um, so yeah, this is the kind of thing I think about. Well, not maybe not anymore because we started this, but if you had said Manix to me, yeah, this is like the the sound, you know, like when people talk about bands, uh, often they like kind of evoke an album that has a certain sound to it so I, you guys know that I like R.E.M. I think most people if you say R.E.M. they'll think of Automatic for the People and Everybody Hurts and those kind of Is that Losing My Religion? No it's not it's, that, it's the one See that's what I think It's the one I, I see what you mean but they are only a year apart uh, okay. we don't need to talk massively about R.E.M. That's an interesting no, period like of Radiohead, R.E.M. No Radiohead I think of OK Computer and, and Exactly and, Yeah, Exactly which is why everybody writes off Radiohead as being very angsty and depressing but a lot of them funnily enough I don't think of OK Computer when I think of Radiohead you think of In Rainbows I'm assuming oh because it's my fucking favourite album it's so good I think less people have heard that than OK Computer though I I don't think In Rainbows infiltrated itself into the culture as much as OK Computer it infiltrated itself into my heart it went straight up your culture straight deep into my culture I feel uncomfortable (laughs) and I need an adult yeah please please (laughs) um so that's kind of yeah we're building up to it but this is their synonymous kind of album if you hear of Manchester Preachers you usually think of Everything Must Go as as kind of like the first port call if you're you know a filthy casual 
or a pleb like Lucas who likes Lighthouse Family but not the Holy Bible. But we're not going to go on about I it. Don't we're not like gonna... the Lighthouse Family. We're so not going to go on about it. A wonderful feeling of sentiment. Then why did you make heart. us do a whole episode about it? I had us? nothing to do with that episode happening. It well, was Steve's idea and then it you wasn't. made it real. <laughs> no <laughs> one no one wants to take <laughs> responsibility. You brought for it, it into existence. No, I did not. Listen like to the listen to the Gold Against the Soul episode and listen to the bit where you literally say let's do a podcast about the Manic Street Preachers. After the disappearance of Richie, I'm just going <laughs> to fucking move on from that. Um, Nikki... You also mean Lighthouse Family, not Mannix. What? Doesn't matter. <laughs> <laughs> I can't, like, my brain will not allow me to hear anything else about Lighthouse Family. This is going <laughs> to be the last episode that they ever fucking get mentioned on, okay? If it comes up, you just hear, wah, wah, yeah, wah, 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 wah. like you're from one of the adults from Peanuts. Yeah. Nikki and Sean kind of like withdraw and James spends six months living in London and just going to bars. Um, and actually, weirdly, the decision to kind of continue as a band was made fairly quickly after Richie's right. disappearance. Um, okay. There was even kind of some suggestion that releasing an album may prompt Richie to come back if the album is yeah. successful <coughs> enough, you know. Um, at this point, they had no idea how long this disappearance was going to last. Um, yeah. And when words leaked out that the Manics were going to continue through the press, some fans were uh, uh, unhappy, to say the least. <laughs> that they're doing it without him. If, I guess it might have, you know, if you were a particularly huge fan of the band, and especially Richie, it might have felt like a bit of a, a betrayal. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. Yeah. Um, Kind of, but I think they address that in one of the songs later. Oh, Steve, you're getting ahead of yourself. <laughs> it's everything must go. It's the song oh, everything must oh, go. Oh, oh fuck, yeah, shit. fucking hell! Well, there's no oh, point doing so it now. We won't yeah. even bother talking about yeah, that. Thanks song. for listening. Yeah, we destroy yeah. rock and roll. No, so. Fucking. <laughs> so, what is their first comeback song single? It's not a design for life. It's not a design for life. Is can it I not? Think, can I throw out a guess? Yeah, Please go on, guess. Go on. Australia. No. That's a shame. I've, Kevin I, Carter. I hid this from you on the playlist by putting everything a little bit out of order. The first piece, what? The first piece of music released um, by the Matchstick Preachers after the disappearance of Richie Was raindrops. is the raindrops keep falling on my head. Is it really? Yes. Okay. Which is why it's so important that we include it in this episode, because this is the first wow. time that it was kind of confirmed that Manic Street Preachers would still be a band that was going. Um, right. I think it help, helps with the record a lot because, well, I'll tell you what, I'll tell you what, why don't we, um, why don't we get a little bit of the history of that song and then we'll, we'll play it. Um, have, you, have you guys heard of the charity albums that War Child used to do? Yeah. Yeah, so all songs on the album are recorded in one 24-hour period by a bunch of bands. Um, and in this case, it was done on September the 4th, 1995, and then the album was released on September the 9th. And the artists on it are like, there's like a Paul McCartney supergroup, Oasis and Blur and Portishead, and the Help album from 1995 might actually be most famous for being the first appearance of Lucky, by Radiohead, which appears two years later on OK Computer. 
Um, but the Manics were asked to contribute, and they did, and this is what they contributed. Raindrops keep falling on my head Just like the guy whose feet are too big for his bed Nothing seems to fit Oh, raindrops keep falling on my head Keep on falling Cause I just done me some talking to the sun And I said I didn't like the way you got things done Sleeping on the job Oh, raindrops keep falling on my head, keep on falling But this one thing I know That blue stairs sent to me, babe Won't they fit me up one But I don't happiness Comes up to greet me To greet, 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 greet me Raindrops keep falling There you go. That's the first piece of music released by Manic Street Preachers after the disappearance of kind of one of their, you know, their, some would say their principal member at this point. Yeah. Thoughts on this song? Um, <laughs> do you it's, know what I've written it's down? It's nice, isn't it? It's a it's nice It's really song. nice, but I've written down like, I'm okay. Well, yeah, that's like, fair enough. Be- because to me, it's like, it's just a nice, it's a nice cover. Like I don't, but isn't I don't know why it exists. Isn't that very me... well? Isn't that very surprising? Having just come off the back of the Holy Bible, yeah, it's, it's <laughs> very different. <laughs> it's a completely um, different vibe. Um, yeah, and it was actually recorded in the same place as the Holy Bible. Really? Yeah, what, in that tiny little that um... same horrible little studio. Yeah, um, sounds different. It's completely different. It's you know, the, it's mostly uh, kind of an acoustic guitar, and it's got kind of orchestral kind of drums. It's got a trumpet solo. Yeah, and do you know and that's not the only one on this album. Do you know, oh, do you know, hell no, it's not the only one on this album. Well, do you know who played the trumpet solo? Um, oh yeah, oh, Richie no. Edwards. No, it was Sean. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, guest spot. It was. It, it was Sean. It was Sean. Yeah, Sean Moore. Which actually happened because of a mistake where the engineer said, "I think this track needs more trumpet." Right. How's that? How's that a mistake? And he he thought that they uh, meant him. Oh no! What? The engineer said needs more trumpet. <laughs> the engineer said, "I think this needs more trumpet." More trumpet. <laughs> and Sean was like, "Well, I better learn the trumpet then." <laughs> Steve hasn't got it yet, have you? I mean, I have, but I'm so <laughs> sad. I'm, I'm so sad about it. <laughs> More oh, trumpet. God. So recording, uh, yeah, had to pause while uh, Sean quickly learned the trumpet at the uh, request of the engineer because yeah. he wanted more, more trumpet. trumpet. I don't know what's real anymore. <laughs> I don't know what's happening. I like this song. It feels okay, yeah. it feels very light and breezy. Um, which like a massive breath of fresh air, I bet, after the the deep hole you're in after the Holy Bible. Yeah, exactly. But because you didn't deal with that well. No, absolutely not. Are you okay now, mate? Yeah, man. Except for the fact that okay. I'm trapped in my house and can't leave. Oh yeah. 
Oh, the, all the, you mean all the impending doom outside? Yeah, I do. Yeah. But I think also this song, though, because of the context that it's in, and yeah. almost everybody was aware of that context, is given a really eerie feeling. Because I guess so, yeah. Some of like like the last line of it is "I'm free, nothing's bothering me." Yeah, which I think a lot of people would have taken to have been kind of a comment on Richie and the current circumstances surrounding the band. Mm-hmm. Uh, I don't know. Maybe it's a bit of a reach, but I think that that comes loaded into releasing that song at that time. You know. So when they released this, did they know they were going to record another album at this point? Yes. Or were they in the middle of it as well? Well, this is... Uh, first of all, Lucas, what do you think about this song? It's just nice, isn't it? Okay, just great. A nice what, song. When what you say fascinating about, insight. When you say about uh, saying, uh, I'm free, are you thinking that that is them saying, like, Richie, you're free now, or them saying, we're free now from the shadow of the spectre of Richie and his issues? Why choose? Could Could be both. No, no, choose. It could uh, be nothing, but like it, it, it does give an eerie. I know what you're trying to say. With I it. mean, the thing is, is that they didn't write the song. Uh, they just, but they did choose that as well, exactly. to record. But it's also yeah, something true. that they had been playing live at gigs for a little while while Richie oh, really? was around. So, you know, yeah. In, instead of kind of doing the thing where you have a break and do an encore, James would do an acoustic couple of songs, and then the rest of the band would come back out because Manchester okay. Preachers don't do encores at their shows. Which is cool. Um, (laughs) But yes, Steve, they had already decided that they were going to, and this is something that is not as cut and dry as it's always made out to be, they decided that they were going to continue work on the fourth album. A lot of people forget that they had started work on the fourth album before Richie disappeared. I was going to, I mean, I'm getting way ahead of myself here, but there's a couple of. Um, songs like lyrics or things that sounds like he's written them. There are five songs on Everything Must Go that where the lyrics are include lyrics by Richie. There, there we go. That yes. will explain a lot. So this album is you not impressed. Yes, I am. This, Thanks, man. This al- I know that you're just here to try and impress me. <laughs> oh, God, that's all I want is your approval. <laughs> I'll give you a little pat on the head next time I see you. Yeah, um, more in six months. Yeah. So a, a lot of. Uh, a lot of people just assume that this is like a completely clean break from Richie, but actually he's, you know, he's present on a, a few of the songs and he had heard the music of okay. a few of these songs. So, you know, um, people say that, like, oh, if, if Richie had still been in the band by this point, they would have gotten even darker and even more aggressive. But actually he had heard um, things like small black flowers that grow in the sky and I think no surface mm. all feeling and was happy with, the way that they were kind of being presented. Okay. So we could well have seen this transition regardless of whether Richie um, disappeared or not. Yeah. Um, but I th- again, the kind of built-in context of that makes this album feel much more transformative than perhaps it ever would have done uh, had he not disappeared. Does that make sense? Or if I rambled on incessantly i mean yeah you've rambled on for um six or so episodes now okay great thanks <laughs> <laughs> it makes sense i know what you mean but they knew that they wanted this big kind of open sound uh they recorded in bath with uh stephen haig do you know stephen haig F- nope. famous producer um produced new order and pet shop boys that kind of pop sort of sound um but they didn't like the studio weirdly they thought it was just too sterile and too 
pop and couldn't really get on with it. So they went to a big uh, house in France uh, yeah. and set up their recording equipment there. Um, it's called Chateau de la Rouge Motte in Domfront, Normandy. And they took Mike Hedges with them, who was famous for like a very big sound, kind of like the the Phil Spector-esque sort of wall of sound production. Um, mm. But also he had worked with Susie and the Banshees and they'd, but they had wanted him for um, the Holy Bible, uh, especially because of his work with The Cure as well. Um, it's interesting you say that because I can't actually tell that they put the mics in the hedges. <laughs> There's some very faint <laughs> rustling. Yeah, yeah. If you listen at the beginning of... Um, Elvis impersonator. I'm so sorry. Uh, Blackpool Pier. You can hear a little <laughs> rustle, and that will just make you think. Who's he? And, and they'll make you think. <laughs> have they mic'd hedges? Oh, they, Who's little Russell? They did mic hedges, <laughs> and they did, and they used little Russell to <laughs> mic yeah, the, hedges. the hedges. It was an ironic nickname. He was seven foot tall as well. Yes, yeah. but little Russell yep. was there to mic hedges. <laughs> That's what we know. Yeah, yeah. But it's important that we go it's, to that context. Exactly. It's a very important context that we know that Little Russell <laughs> was there to Mike Hedges. Brilliant. Okay. The band, <laughs> so sorry. The band and the producer, who I'm now not going to say his name. Uh, oh. Let's call him Big Mike. No, that's yeah. going to lead to stupid stuff as well. Let's just call him <laughs> the producer. Uh, they bonded over rugby and drinking. And when they played him A Design for Life, which is the first song that they wrote after the disappearance of Richie... Okay. He said it could sh- it should sound like a jukebox single, which uh, the man just kind of loved the idea of. Do you know the idea of like a jukebox single? Something that everyone fucking puts on in a bar repeatedly, and everyone hates it because they hear it so many fucking times. Well, Lucas has had Why are you some so angry, Lucas? bad experiences with jukeboxes. <laughs> yeah. yeah. <laughs> um, no, go on. What, what do you mean? Uh, kind of like. Do you, like do you know what? Yeah, but do you know what? We'll we'll uh, we'll, we'll get onto it. We'll like Mr. Brightside. Would you say that's a jukebox anthem? I think I think when Mike Hedges is, don't is is talking <laughs> about that, he means Motown singles, like the old forty fives that have uh, strings. I figured, meant, I figured you just meant overplayed, very popular songs. No, I think it means like strings as a main instrument, kind of good in length, kind of repetitive verse, chorus, verse, chorus kind of structure. Okay. Um but we'll get onto that when we get onto the song. I mean there's lots to say about a design for life and I'm pretty sure we won't say anything because there's so much to say that, you know, that there's almost nothing to say about it. It's a very ubiquitous song. But they were very up for the idea of strings. Um, uh, and what what the hell was I saying before we started talking about Mike Hedges? Oh, A Design for Life was the first song that they wrote. <laughs> <laughs> the first song that they wrote post-Ritchie. Um, Nicky had... Uh, two separate lyrics that were kind of about the same thing that he gave to James and James really liked them and thought right I better write some decent music to this and he wrote it and he played it to Nicky over the phone and they said well should we try and rehearse it and they got into a rehearsal room and they played A Design for Life and just sort of went yeah that's alright innit yeah should we <laughs> should we can you imagine on? yeah that's the first thing you write and it's a design for life yeah absolutely <laughs> like mad that um yeah, I think it was very much the song that that saved them, and the kind of uh, this idea of the Motown jukeboxy kind of sound kind of goes through the whole album, which again we'll get onto when we go track by track. 
Um, but it has strings everywhere, which is played by a, a four-piece all-female string section called the Venomettes. Um, cool name. And they were um, they would they do this thing where they all played one part at the same time, and then he would and then they'd go over that with the second part and then go over that with the third part. So it sounded like a sixty-four piece orchestra. So okay. the orchestra that you're hearing is actually just uh, four people, which is quite impressive. Yeah. Um, so yeah, they're in this old 18th century house with uh, a, a mixing board that uh, the producer, who shall not be named, uh, <laughs> rescued from a skip. He's not Voldemort. <laughs> <laughs> he rescued it from a skip outside Abbey Road. Uh, and, it, and it was a desk that was used by the Beatles and uh, Pink Floyd for Dark Side of Ooh. the Moon. Um, and recorded... Did the Beatles live in the hedge? <laughs> Little tiny beetles in a hedge. Yeah, no, so I didn't mean the band, the Beatles. Yeah, some Beatles that lived in a hedge. Yes, that's what I meant. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Uh, mm-hmm. They use that sound desk. Recording was very quick. <laughs> <laughs> Started in about October 1995, and they were finished by January 1996. Well, they had to rush because they didn't want to get rained on, did they? Because if you're outside in a hedge... Oh... Well, again, Go on, keep but, going. But they liked that, remember, because they just wanted to... Because raindrops keep, keep falling on their heads. Exactly. Uh, uh, yeah. In between being announced... Uh, that they Sorry, they recorded in between being announced to support the Stone Roses at Wembley Arena and actually then playing the gig. Uh, like, in between those things, they basically finished the album. And they play five new songs at the show with a keyboardist. So, again, still four people on stage doing these huge songs. And they play Elvis Impersonator, Design for Life, Australia, Enola Alone, and Everything Must Go. Mm-hmm. And from what I can work out from the clips I've seen on YouTube and reports of people who were there, it was um, it was fine. Uh, <laughs> like obviously, a design for life is like a huge song, and even then, you could like see its potential. But the band were just kind of going through the motions, and it was something yeah. that they would find for quite a long time, um, because you know they they are a man down, and I think it was very difficult to adjust to that. Yeah. Um, and they mainly kind of do a lot of support gigs. They support Oasis and then headline a Radio 1 event in April 1996. Um, it's on April 15th that they release a Design for Life. And it's also, you know, around this time is when they debut like their new look. Do you, do you, have, you, have you seen many pictures of them from this era? Uh, have they gone off the I whole military? Have. have they gone off the whole military thing then? Yes, it's very deliberately neutral. It's just kind right. of a nice short sleeved shirt and some khaki yeah. trousers. Yeah, and that's sort of it. They're very very clean and very minimal. And uh, you'll have seen the artwork for the album. Um, yeah, yeah. That is very very minimal. That the, the design for life single was reflective silver with words just embossed, which is very minimal, very cool. Um, Design for Life's got a cool music video as well, which um, I think we should cover the music videos at some point. That might be quite a nice idea. Hot take. Ooh. Music videos would be quite fun to cover. But this one is great. It's got like clips of the wealthy, like at Ascot and fox hunting, juxtas- uh, juxtaposed with like working class riots. And then they're still using like big slogans kind of flashing onto screen like tomorrow is too late. Um useful is beautiful and violence for equality and stuff like that so they're still kind of they are the manics at heart but i think they seem like a watered down version of them 
Yeah. The Manics were not really expecting a Design for Life to be successful and were kind of expecting it to get to like 20, you know, 16. But you mean commercially successful. They knew it was a good song, surely. Yeah. Well, I, you know, <clears throat> you would like to hope that any band thinks that what they're doing is going to be artistically yeah. successful. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Well, what did Russell, I'm gonna release did Russell this, like? But it? I hate it. What did you say, Lucas? Did Russell like the song? Little Russell. Little Russell. Well, he was too busy um, making sure that he could mic hedges. Mm. So, also, uh, what was the name of the keyboardist on stage with them? Uh, I don't know. Just so uh, we can, you know, think of some awful bits to derail the podcast based uh, on their name. I don't have it with me. I'm very sorry. Oh, no. I'm, what a sh- <laughs> uh, again, a I do all of this research that takes me ages. I've read about four or five different books and go on so many websites, and you still and manage to find one question that I don't have the answer to. <laughs> <laughs> Unbelievable. That's so irritating. So irritating. The single sells 93,000 copies in the first week, which is, that is, a lot? is very good. It reaches uh, number two. And no, is, not number one, though, is it? It's pretty much universal. Yeah, you're right, Lucas. It's shit. Yeah, so now we've just decided that number that two is lower than one. <laughs> I'm, oh, I'm, re- I'm really glad that we're doing well. Uh, it broke through to the mainstream. That, that like a des- everyone's heard of Design for Life, right? Yeah. That going into this podcast, I think both of you said it was one of the songs you knew the best from them. Yeah. Yeah. 100%. Yes. Yeah. Um, the album is released on May the twentieth, nineteen ninety six. It is. 12 tracks long it is 45 minutes long which is an lovely excellent length length for an album wonderful it's produced by mike hedges and there's nothing funny about There's nothing funny about that there's nothing funny about that nope i think uh in my imo it's (laughs) very well produced and i think that he just kind of gave the band space to do what they did uh, etc. In your IMO, there is a quote. I always forget this. Every week, I forget to say what the quote <laughs> on the album is, and I made a oh, yeah. point of writing this one down. It says, okay. "The pictures I contemplate painting would constitute a halfway state and attempt to point out the direction of the future without arriving there completely." Which is mm. a, a quote from Jackson Pollock, the painter. Mm. Lucas, what do you think of that? Absolutely nothing. Great. Again, another valuable contribution from the robot you know man himself. Do you know why he f- he didn't listen to you? Then is what happened. <laughs> I bet. I one hundred percent. He just tuned me out. <laughs> he was thinking about Muse too much. <laughs> He's thinking about Muse. I was, I was just in my head. You just hit me hearing. You could be lifted <laughs> from the shadows. This song, oh, uh, this song, this album was originally supposed to be called "Sounds in the Grass" after a painting. Uh, well, by... that's interesting because they were in the hedges. <laughs> yeah, but oh. the hedges, the hedges are often very near the grass. Yeah, but... you know that Manic Street Preachers cameoed in A Bug's Life <laughs> <laughs> with the Beatles. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Fucking hell! Oh, oh. Um, I prefer Ants to Bug's Life. Thrown out there. You prefer opinion. ants to Bugs Life? Yeah. The one with Woody Allen and Sylvester Stallone. Yeah. Fuck I've never off, liked Lucas. Bugs. I've never rated Bugs Life. Lucas, fuck off. I think Bugs How Life is like. How can he be wrong about everything? Lucas, 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 Lucas. Why don't you just fuck off? Lucas, 
Fuck off. <laughs> Adam Lent. Imagine so I just imagine I just cut out of this meeting now. I Lucas, just disappear. Lucas, <laughs> fuck off. <laughs> that is a mad. That is mad though. You prefer three out of ten. To, to, what are you what, what are you giving three? You're giving a bug's life three out. Of 10? No, I'm just reminding you of my. No, he's giving no, my he's opinions giving that annoy you. you. No, no, because that's now a four out of ten, and we have covered that be, already i'm just saying that to make the people like me a bit more no one no could, will like ever you. like you. although if anyone was watching the this on video format if we were to have for some reason release the our faces in a window which we never will of this uh over my shoulder is basically a james dean bradfield les paul absolutely not that's completely wrong it's very similar it's not similar it's not it's a white guitar very Wait similar He's gonna. Go, Adam's going to get his guitar. Adam's out. standing up. He's going he's to. He's going to, to pick up his actual James Dean Bradfield white Les Paul. This works really well on yeah. a podcast, and it looks way. very similar <clears throat> to mine. Yeah, it's got a few more knobs on it. It's a bit different. That's a fucking Les Paul. Most, podcast has got, this podcast part, has got three knobs on the it. Same. This is it's a... got. <laughs> very nice it's got thing. two humbuckers instead of one, and it's got four knobs instead of two. Different shaped pickguard. Different. Uh, different shaped uh, bit where the body meets the neck here. No, that's the Le- same. It's not the same. Maniac. It's, it's the, the same. standard Les Paul shape. No, you're talking shit. No, you're talking shit, mate. Well, I'm glad you went to go get something for us to look at so that the people listening on a podcast could really enjoy that part. People will know uh, what a white... You know, if you're listening to this podcast, you don't know what a white custom Les Paul looks like. Go away. Um, so. <laughs> and, no, and, and if you do know what it looks like, know that me and Adam both showed one of them. Lucas, you need to take a picture of that and I'll put it on Twitter. Fine. Okay. Right, I will. All right. Yeah. Not now. Good, yeah, yeah, don't do it now. No, I'm going to go yeah, do no, it now. No, Back in nope. a minute. <laughs> <laughs> um, the artwork for the album was done by Mark Farrow it is minimal it is modern it's just their faces right in boxes yes and it's the first to feature the band um, oh yeah and also wait were they not in on the front cover of the Holy Bible yeah that's them okay <laughs> it's all three of them <laughs> oh it's four mm, of them yeah, um, yeah. What's, with the bra- what's, what's with the brackets uh, well, it's just an empty space yeah, but why brackets? Oh, isn't that artistic, though? No. Yeah. I, I really like that. I was about to bring that up. I think it's great. I'm just going to find it quickly so I can comment. I think, I mean, I think that the I album mean... is all about space and not, not like, the outer space. Yeah, I mean, the album's about space. <laughs> I mean, like, you know, it's about having room to breathe and think and space, you know? It's like the opposite. Do you know what I think it is? Go on. You forgot that. Well, there's a fourth member missing, right? Yeah. So you got the members underneath. Yeah. And then you got the space for Richie. Yeah. I, that's a perfectly good read on that, I think. Nah, I disagree. He's wrong. Okay. Sorry, Steve. It turns out you're wrong. Oh, I'm wrong. <laughs> yeah. Mm. Sorry about that. It happens often. Um, but I, I also find that the artwork is reminiscent of the Holy Bible because it's got the, get, yeah, the three. The three. Yeah. Uh, the three. Images. Images, that's right. That's I what, what I mean. Meant. Yeah. Blocked. Mm-hmm. 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 It is quite irritating, actually. Mm-hmm. <laughs> because mm-hmm. the text is centred, but it's not. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I like it. Mm-hmm. I like the images. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Who's Imogen? Mm-hmm. 
I like Imogen. Is mm-hmm. that your joke? Yeah. This is definitely their most accessible and mainstream record to date, <laughs> but it also kind of still has that undercurrent of sadness. And I will just—I'm going to interrupt you, Adam. Yeah, you hate that me and Ad, me and Lucas are on this podcast. I so would much. really like you this would... to just be just a podcast be you where I am reading the notes I've written. Yeah, yeah. There are <laughs> yeah. some people who would prefer the podcast to be that. Yeah, based on <laughs> yeah, the feedback we've sure. had, some people do just want you to read from Wikipedia. the Manix Wiki. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. but yeah, well. I'm sorry for interrupting you, matey. We'll see what happens after this. Did you say matey? Matey. What kind of fucking idiot are you? (laughs) But I spelt it M, and then the number eight, and then the number zero. This is uh, a very aggressive episode. Wow. Well, I mean, to to peel back the wizard sausage that little bit more, I mean, Steve fucked up the recording of the last episode, so I'm still just mildly livid with him. It's fine. Everything's fine. Mild, I like how you can be mildly livid. Mildly <laughs> I interrupted you. Carry on. Would you agree that there is still that kind of undercurrent of sadness to what is otherwise quite an upbeat album? Uh, I yeah. think on a certain songs, but I would, I'm would i willing to bet that those songs are ones that have Richie Edwards oh, in I'll, the I'll, uh, credits. I'll take that bet. Um, there's also, like, a lot of people do see it as, like, this very... Uh, kind of upbeat album but there is imagery that is as dark as the holy bible in places there's just less there's of still it. holocaust imagery yes there is yeah but there's just yeah. there's just less of it um and it's always kind of met with this this optimism that comes through either in lyrics next to it or through the way that the music is styled and actually i think it's a very it's a very optimistic record and this is my this is my do you want to hear my hot take on the whole album Please. I think the whole album is about juxtaposition. And it's okay. it's an upbeat album in potentially the darkest time of their lives. And it's about optimism versus defeatism. Like they're not going to kind of give in to defeat. Um, and I think there is a lot of juxtaposition. Things being put next to each other that don't necessarily marry up well. But by putting next to each other, develop a whole new kind of meaning or take on another life and I think that that is what the album is about Steve you were going to interrupt me which means you have a hot take as well um, it wasn't necessarily a hot take give me your say... hottest take nope <laughs> what I was going to say is it hot go- take um... <laughs> Hot topic. There's okay. um, another partridge reference that Lucas is going to be unhappy about. The thing is, no, is that, I was why say, would I be unhappy about a partridge reference? I love a partridge. The thing reference. is, is that Alan Partridge is very niche, and we're some of the only people that are, like it and yeah, know no one's about heard it. of him. Yeah, exactly. And we're kind of kind of the only people that can uh, that can do references like that. Yeah. And, and yeah. no one quotes Alan exactly. Partridge. Do a they? lot of people won't understand. Also, I'm the only guy that quotes um, from Anchorman. Mm. Um, yeah, yeah that's... I love lamp. <laughs> that's, that's one of mine. <laughs> that is something that you um, are what I was famous say, for. <laughs> yeah, what I was going to say is that um, just you were saying about juxtaposition and, and this album being about it. Mm. But I, I, I've been saying a lot on the other albums before Holy Bible that the the subject matter is tough, but the music doesn't reflect that. Holy Bible then just goes balls deep and just does both. Yeah, and it's yeah. just bleak. But then we're going back to heavy subject matter. But upbeat, almost pop songs on this, I would. Um, yeah, argue. I agree. I, I would um, potentially replace the word. This is my other hot take for the album. Uh, I would potentially replace the word pop with Motown. 
Yeah, I, I mean, you know what I mean I by that. It's though. a very Motown sounding record. I would never describe Manic Street Preachers as a pop band. That's not what I was trying oh, to get. Oh, what? At. Wait for the next album. I think they become a little bit of like a pop band. It depends what you think the word pop stands for when you're talking about music. Because some people would think it stands for popular. Some people think it stands for populist. Ad- Adam, do uh, we need to call an ambulance? Please call me some kind of healthcare professional <laughs> that can help me with my mind hole. <laughs> They're all too busy. Oh, yeah, you're, that's you're, true. You get a no chance. Low right? priority. Mm. I think, um, like, the album just. What does of... pop music mean then? Well, uh, I mean, it mean it means popular. But... I know it means popular, but that's nonsense because then that means anything popular is pop music, which is yeah, obviously a load so, of shit because so Slipknot I... are popular. Right, but they're not as popular as Ed Sheeran. Okay, fine, but then there's always so that that must mean the only person who can be called pop music is the most popular musician of the time which is me you are famously very popular so i i I have always kind of been of the understanding that or or rather to me pop music means populist so kind of verse chorus verse chorus um you know short in length has kind of a basic structure and sequencing to it and you know pet shop boys are probably pop music did um, you say it's as short in length as Little Russell? He's famously short in length. Oh no! Didn't we decide he's seven foot tall? Oh but yeah, then, it's an ironic thing. Oh, yeah, of course. But then you can you can find a million songs that are that match that description that are death metal. Um, verse, chorus, verse, chorus, reasonable length. Lucas. It just happens Lucas, that the bit Lucas, in between Lucas, is Lucas, going. Lucas, oh, Lucas, 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 what? Lucas, fuck off. <laughs> Do you think when this is all over and everyone sees each other again, do you mean, do you mean the actually... podcast? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> when, when this is all over, yeah. do you think everyone's just going to be, actually, I really enjoyed not seeing other people. I enjoyed not having human contact. Well, I think, like, do you, you know, think I don't want to touch you ever this again? This kind of minimal human contact, Steve, is something that I've been basically practicing for about 30 years of my life. So. Ooh, <laughs> I mean, I mean, us and our friends have actually chatted more recently because we've been jumping on like silly video chats and yeah, things like that, it. which we wouldn't normally do. And we wouldn't necessarily have seen each other in that time either. Mm, yeah, that's true. Mm. Manic. Yeah, let's talk about the actual album. Um, Lucas, give, give me your kind of over, give me your overarching thoughts on the album. Great album. Oh, <laughs> I got a little tingle up my spine. It's a great album. Oh, you need to get an ambulance. It's a great I mean, to, album. To peel back the wizard's... Oh, stop. stop saying that one. To peel back the skin from the wizard's <gasps> flesh... Oh, um, God, don't like that we, one. When we, were, when we were supposed to record a month ago mm. this, and due to unforeseen circumstances, we couldn't record. Yes. Mm-hmm. And normally, I'd, you know, I'd do all my listening, like a week before we record, listen to the album lots, make my notes, even, do the episode of the podcast. Even that is and annoying then, to me. And, I know. And then, and then not listen to it again, right? Yeah. I have continually listened to this album... Really, in the, in the intervening months, by choice, just for fun. by choice, because it's a good album. It's been right up there with Lighthouse Family Greatest Hits. For you. Right up there with Lighthouse Family Greatest Hits. Okay, and uh, and I can't think of another joke. So overall, answer. this is an album that you enjoy on uh, a musical level. Yeah. Okay. Uh, but, but but what's weird is 
this is much more what I expected of Manix. And yet mm. what I liked about the earlier albums was that they weren't what I expected. And now we're at the point, which is what I expected, which was oh, just a sort of st- standard popular rock band in my head, at least, was what they, I thought well, they I were to be. I think that's because uh, they are, you are, I'm enjoying it. You're a giant pleb. And, I am a giant pleb. Um, you know, something can be as interesting uh, as, as anything else, but it doesn't necessarily mean that you will respond to it because you're Mr. Plebman. Johnny Plebman. So really, you just want big strings, chorus and a verse, oh, lyrics you can kind of make out, and a, an album that's 45 minutes in length, so you can just stick it on on one of your infamous drives that always last exactly 45 minutes. My drives are infamous. Infamous. <laughs> yeah. yeah, because of the amount of people that end up critically wounded. Well, exactly. <laughs> Uh, Steve, what's your general thoughts on Everything Must Go? And side question, would it have mm. been a better album if it was called Everything Gust Mo? <laughs> Isolation has not treated Adam well. Oh, I don't know. I think it's made everything much better. My general thoughts on the album, uh, yeah, it just feels really optimistic. It's um, It's just upbeat and each song... It just flows to me really nicely. I don't know how to put that. I've, like, I've the got album exactly is, the same thing. That it flows better. It's a, yeah, it's a it's a nice wave you ride on this album. It's pleasant um, to listen to. It is pleasant yeah. to listen to when the Holy Bible was not, and that is that is more important to me yeah. than lyrics being cool well, and that, edgy. But I don't like how it starts. Yeah, shut up. What but with the, the word quiff? No. We'll get to it. But in- quiff. <laughs> In general, the lyrics flow better, um, and they're more kind of song-like, right? They seem like yeah. they were more obviously written to be sung, rather than some kind of terrifying essay on a human tragedy. Yeah. Um, seven of the songs are solely written by Nicky, and the rest were worked on while Richie was in the band, so he had contributed to the lyrics and some of the music on them. Do you want to try and guess what they are now, or do you want me to flag them as they come up? I have to not do either because I've got the answer in front of me because I copied and pasted my track list from a source which includes who's the credited songwriter. Great. For me then, Adam, you tell me as they come up. Okay, great. It it might be that I've got something to say about it and then you might surprise me and it might be a bit of fun. In which case, shall we start with the album? I mean, we could. Are you ready? Listen carefully. Hear the little rustle. <laughs> you hear it? Just the background has a little rustle. Hello! Hello! I, I just come to make hedges. Oh, it's this little rustle. Hello! Hello. I'm very little. Don't. No, he's not. He's seven foot oh, tall. Lucas, Lucas. Don't scare him away. I've just come to make hedges. Don't Hello! Twenty foot high, our back will promenade. Fake quality, second hearty, grim facade. Limited face paint and dyed black quiff. Overweight and out of date. Twenty foot high, our back will promenade. Fake quality. Second hot secret facade Limited face paint 
Elvis impersonator Blackpool Pier. Mm. Mm. Thoughts? Ah, I don't like the intro to the song. When it kicks in, I really like this song, and I find myself walking around the house actually humming along to it. Yeah. But I just I don't like the structure of the beginning. Um, you don't like the the acoustic. I know it's not a very good start opening. to this. Yeah, and and the way it just kind of just repeats it twice. Do you know what I mean? Right. It's the same kind of verse section twice. Yeah. Yeah. I, I just I just I find it a bit clunky, and I think it's a bit of a shame for it to the opener. And I don't know if this is a controversial opinion or not. I don't know how popular this song is. Um, and yeah, I just don't like the word quiff. In there. <laughs> and I'm fully on Steve's side. I, I don't like know the intro. Why. I like I the get, intro to the song. I get the imagery and I get what they're trying to talk about. Quiff. <laughs> yeah, I don't, know, I don't know what it is. Well, the word quiff also annoys I me. I can't get past it. Well, talk talk um, about the, the imagery and what they're talking about then. Like, what's your, well, what's your it, understanding? It's of this. Um, yeah, it's the Elvis impersonator, isn't it? And and mm. he's just he's yeah. got. I don't know what else to say. About he's got it. a dyed black quiff. Yeah, lamented face paint. Is that what it says? Uh, limited face paint. Limited. I think. Okay. Do, do you want? Okay. Without. Uh, but I will say the rest of the song is a banger. With, without really doing. Like before we get onto my overall thoughts, let's let's address the quiff. Let's address the quiff in the room. I think <laughs> what makes it so annoying. Uh, if if you do find it annoying, is the fact that he has to do kind of a glottal stop because the word before it is black. That might be it. He can't yeah. he can't blend them together, or he's saying black quiff. Black quiff. Yeah, he has to break them up. Died black. Otherwise, he quiff. says black quiff. Black quiff, which isn't a word. So no. that might be what you're what you're reacting to. I um, think I, it is. I completely understand it, Steve. But as I've often said on this podcast, I think you're wrong. Yeah, uh, anyone who's not you is, <laughs> is is incorrect. Even if they're saying the same opinion as yeah, yours, I, know. I will take yours the op- is more right. I'll take the opposing stance just for the yeah. fuck of it. Lucas, your overall thoughts on this song? The word "quiff" is fucking annoying. Okay, great, thanks, Lucas. Another valuable. Uh, no, I like the song. I like I like the intro more than Stephen. I actually enjoy it, apart from the word "quiff." Mm. Uh, uh, the harp's delightful. The harp is. Lovely. A little bit of harpage. And it doesn't come uh, in until the kind of... It does come in at the very beginning, but then it doesn't really properly come in until the second half of the opening. Yeah. Which is uh, great. I mean, am, uh, uh, am I right in saying the song's basically Sorry. about going, uh, we don't like the fact that like British culture is getting Americanized? Yeah, broadly, I think so. There is some, there's much more um, specificity in the lyric, which we'll get into in a second. Uh, my personal feeling on the kind of the intro leading to what becomes the rest of the song is that I fucking love it because Lucas you said bearing in mind the context you assumed that the album after Richie would be the most depressing one that would that <coughs> would be released how wrong I was how wrong you were but doesn't that introduction sound very depressing yeah no I think the imagery is really depressing of this yeah. like depressed Elvis impersonator. Um, you know, this is his his job, and he and he and he's just sad. Like and that's the Im- the imagery I have in my head. Yeah, but it also, Adam, does remind me of when we were on Brighton Pier and we saw the oh, the God. poster for 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 Smelvis, wasn't it? Smel- was it Smelvis? Smelvis, yeah. That was an the, Elvis he was an impersonator. impersonator. Yeah. yeah, which um, which led to very 
a good afternoon constantly saying that he can only shmay things like schmat. <laughs> Schmank you very uh, schmuch. Yeah. I love this Ain't as an introduction. Schmog. <laughs> I love this as an opening because I think it is a subversion of what like people would expect the album to be at this point. The chords are unsettling. Um, if I could, uh, <laughs> how 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 uh, how geeky do you want me to get on 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 this? Um, very okay. So the opening uh, flits between two chords initially, and they're both G major seventh, which mm-hmm. is an unsettling chord. But well, actually, it's quite a nice chord. But the root note changes from a B to a C, which is only a semitone, which is very unsettling. It's co- okay. it's an odd transition, and the next chord is also a suspended chord, but it's still a major, and then they go to an E minor, which one is a very unpredictable chord sequence, and it's also a very sad chord sequence. I'm gonna get very geeky on the last song in this album good, as well because I've got a little. I'm thing. glad I'm yeah. not the only one. I mean, yeah, it, it, I think it does kind of it sets up this idea that maybe there is a sad maudlin kind of album a depressing album coming in the wake of one of their members disappearing but then it kind of erupts into that what is basically the the predominant sound of the album there is a few other acoustic sections on the album um and i think that this track works kind of like steve you like musical theater i think this works as an overture yeah it kind of introduces you mean that. It introduces all of the sounds that are on the album we get other songs with the acoustic guitar on, um, like removables. We get other songs with harps on, like small black flowers that grow in the sky. And obviously mm. that kind of open guitar distorted sound is the predominant sound of the album. Um, and also I would say, I know we were talking about the little Russell you can hear at the beginning. It turns out that it's not little Russell himself. It's, Hello. it's the sound of waves. Yeah, a, that, I mean that's what I got. Is that yeah, it's literally the sounds of a pier. Yeah, but and they're lapping against. Doesn't it also? What, if you put it into context, doesn't it take guts to open your album with waves in a song? In a song about death of a musician after your mate has been suspected of drowning. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> you know, if if, that, if, if you purpose? read into that closely, whether it was on purpose or not, that is. Um, quite a brave and jarring way to start this album, I think. Mm. Also, I like the guitar solo. On a yeah, the guitar lighter. solo is the guitar solo is very is much more like your sort of Brit poppy. Yeah, I think that, I think that, it's done very, on a very classic. I think it's done on a twelve string, so it's got that kind of jangly sixties kind of sound. Um, when you say the song's about like the death of a musician, yeah, I didn't get that. Read. Well, he means just Elvis. Well, it's Elvis, right? isn't it? Well, it's about an Elvis impersonator. Well, yeah, but it's also about Elvis, and it's it's an Elvis impersonator at Blackpool Pier. That's two dead cultural icons. Blackpool uh, Blackpool used to be, you know, uh, the banging. height the height of a holiday destination, mm. um, and now, much like an Elvis impersonator, Blackpool is just like a cheap facsimile of of what it was. Which kind of leads into your idea of, you know, the UK worshipping Americana and the infiltration of American culture to the UK. And even they even if it's about... sad and cheap, like an Elvis impersonator, we will kind of accept it and fucking lap it Would up. Would you say it's also like um, how Elvis ended up 
before he died anyway as an impersonation of himself and just sad dying is quiff black because exactly was yeah that was dyed that wasn't his natural hair color and exactly um yeah this this kind of you know a, a very a real undercurrent of of sadness in the song and and the whole song is about um is about not just an elvis impersonator but elvis himself i mean to, uh you guys know the american trilogy there's the there's the lyric in the american trilogy in lancashire pottery and then it changes as well doesn't it uh yeah it does uh, all american trilogy and used up cars and bottled beer mm. the the american what is that well the american song? trilogy is a song famously sung by Elvis, okay. which is comprised of three classical American songs, which one of them, one of which is Dixie, which is the unofficial anthem of the Confederacy Army, which you can hear James Dean Bradfield sing at the end of this song. Oh, really? uh, the second part of it is All My Trials, which is an African American hymn from around the same time, and then the third part of it is the the Battle Hymn of the Republic, which is the marching song for the Union during the Civil War. So there's a lot of like. The, the way that the old culture of the US being represented by a global um, cultural icon such as Elvis and I think there's a lot to say about how that you know I mean I, I don't think that anybody who's on this podcast currently agrees with the views of the Confederate Army during the Civil War uh, no okay well I know you're a civil servant Steve so you do civil have servant to be, you've got to be balanced you have to be balanced <laughs> 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 so it's it's kind of this idea of like this this uh bastardization of culture or this homogenized culture being packaged up and sold um which again is a very manic street preachers thing to put in a fun song at the beginning of your fun album yeah um and i i just i just like it also at the beginning he write he rhymes promenade with facade you like that, do you? I love Neat. that. I love that. How many other songs rhyme promenade and facade? How many songs have the word promenade in it? Uh, probably quite a few, actually, oh. Steve. So, <laughs> Oh, you mean like the song Promenade? By Oasis. Yeah. Is it really? No. Oh, I don't know. Steve, Steve <laughs> has no <laughs> idea what's real. I'm a very gullible man. <laughs> I don't know what's going on anymore. <laughs> I have just seen across the way, though, out the window, which is nice, that the kids have drawn pictures and stuck them all over the windows. That's, van- that's, that's vandalism. The, the, that's vandalism. Yeah, the rainbow thing, right? That's what all the yeah. kids are doing. Yeah, my that's street, nice. My area's full of them. Hmm. I don't look out what? my window. Anyway, oh, wait, let me, let, me, let me go to the end, because that has got well, that's the... That's where the germs are. That has got the Dixie thing at the end. Hang oh, on. yes. Yeah. There you go. Yeah. So yeah, that's a bit of the American trilogy. Um, I really like it. Has, has anything anybody got any other stuff to say on on this on this song? Yeah, the word quiff is stupid. Okay, great. <laughs> <laughs> I just love the mad chords that are all the way through, it. and and the whole album has like insane chords that are like uh, some of them are basically jazz chords. Especially "Design for Life" is is very jazzy. From a court what I, perspective, what I like about this podcast is because I've written here down here that, that this song is a bit on the nose. Um, it's just about an Elvis impersonator, yeah, on a pier. But now you've talked about it and you tell me more about it, I appreciate you more. Oh, Steve, that's lovely. Mm, that's, that nice? that's what we're trying to do here on the podcast. Um, 
should we talk about uh, Design for Life? What? I've never heard of that one. Oh, okay. Yeah, it was, that's the, uh, is that on this album? Just to jog your memory, it just sounds like this. <laughs> good song isn't it yeah uh, yeah pretty good song lucas do you agree that it's a good song it's a pretty all right song isn't it yeah all right so kevin carter um yeah what what a magnificent uh, beast you are steve thank you very much adam i'm glad you noticed and also, i don't put this I, I don't put this in like my top on this album though i don't think no like, really? it's interesting like it's good I, I like it but then I like a lot of this album but it's, I mean, it's, about, it's not top three do you know what I don't know I, I might agree with you but in the way that A Design for Life is such a it's like a what being, Ad, it's like what it's Adam like said about Motorcycle Emptiness saying it's such a, a, a such a like a staple that he almost never really considered it yeah so the other day I put out on the Twitter uh, what is your favourite or least favourite song from Everything Must Go and Almost nobody said a design for life mm. until people started realizing, oh yeah, it's it's a design for life. Of course, my favorite song on the album is a design for life, and uh, and maybe not favorite, but also the best song on this album is a design for life. And there's really no kind of kind of arguing with that. It's not my favorite on the album. I do think it's the best song on the album. Define the difference. Well, we're talking again about something being objectively good and me enjoying something. It's almost like you just don't even consider it. Yeah, but what, exactly. what makes it object? What makes a thing objectively good? I think that you? the lyrics are deeper and better than any other lyrics on the album. I think that the chords are more interesting. I think that it captures the moment of the time it was released in absolutely perfectly, uh, which you know some of the other songs don't even attempt to, to do. And I think looking at it as part of a critical analysis, as we are wont to do here, I think it is mm. an outstanding song. It's not necessarily my favourite, and some of that might be to do with the fact of how often I've heard it. Yeah, yeah. 
you know. That's what I mean. It's the sort of song that was probably played every half an hour on Radio One. Yeah, exactly. Um, but yeah, I mean, it's it's an anthem. That's for sure. Absolutely. It is an anthem. That's for Sean. Nope. <laughs> okay, great. Yep. Uh, Steve, it's in six eight. Are you sure it's not in three four? It's in six eight, Steve. One two three four five six. Yep. Yeah. yeah, I mean, yeah. Yeah, that's interesting, isn't it? Well, I mean, it, it's just triplety. Isn't yeah. six eight three four? Aren't they the same thing? Yeah, it depends how long much, you, you have the bar. Is, but, yeah. Yeah. but yeah, it's it's uh, it's not. Like for a rock song, you, you're just expecting it. Like to a popular rock song on the radio would just be four four, and the drum beat would just be boom, just ta, boom, ta, yeah. Boom, ta, so boom, boom, ta. to have something like this with strings and that, yeah, it's nice. Yeah, it's. Um, uh, have I have I talked about this on the podcast before about how we had an assembly in my school based purely <laughs> on the design for life? Yes, yes, you have. You did. Okay, which um, yeah. really did not uh, go as deep as you would have liked on the lyrics. No, it yeah. it was literally just like, yeah, you guys should probably have a plan when you get older. Yeah, that's what this song's about. Yeah. <laughs> um, well, let's talk about what the song is about. What do you think the song is about? It class differences. Yeah, like. Do you want to expand? Um, mm, like, now I'm just going to bring the lyrics up to remind myself to refresh myself before my notes. You go, Steve. Like the, like the bit about uh, a bit about we just want to get drunk and we're not allowed to spend is sort of like a bit more of a working the class. working class. Yeah, yeah. Versus the bougie bitches mm. living their bougie bitch lifestyle. It's also a, an ironic statement. I think a lot of a lot of the like um, a lot of the popularity of this song comes from a non-ironic reading of it. Yeah, do you mean like um, people with their arms around each other that are actually smashed off their heads singing yeah. these lyrics? Going, I, I wish I had. Going, I wish I had a bottle right here in my dirty face, and actually being drunk. like, "Get me a Carlsberg." Yeah. <laughs> calling and there's absolutely. <laughs> And there's absolutely nothing wrong with that. Um, and I think that's a perfectly fine read. But also, I don't think it's the one that was intended. But it would no. be you. If if you were going to Glastonbury this year, which unfortunately is now cancelled, yeah. um, you would be one of those people yeah, with a bit with a beer in your hand singing yeah. The Design for Life. Kissing no, Adam on the lips. No, to be honest, actually, what I'd be doing is I'd be finding the people that I thought were singing those lyrics non-ironically yeah, and, go, and I would take them to guys. one side and say and explain to them and maybe actually, get them to listen to the podcast actually we get some new listeners exactly and I would say actually okay. that this is actually Sorry, a guys. comment that that is how the media sees the working class and that they have no value beyond that and so actually you should be careful about how you're responding to this song <laughs> because I tell you what mate you've embarrassed yourself do you want a toke on this spliff mate you've embarrassed yourself but yes please <laughs> <laughs> Uh, yeah, um, uh, yeah. Just, uh, just. I mean, it doesn't uh, help, Steve. Lyric? You did just do a very cliche bloke voice when you said that. Right, as that well. is our bloke voice, isn't it? You yeah. did the bloke voice when talking about the person Hello, singing along to the song, yeah. unironically. Yeah. Part life. Um, what? Was, yeah, the part life bloke. <laughs> yeah. yeah. <laughs> um, there's the bit about. Oh, give me the lyric. Um, uh, where? Go on. To. Show where we came. What's that one? What's Is it the, the line that goes "A design for life"? I wish. No. I wish. Oh. I, I wish I had a bottle right here in my dirty face to wear the scars yeah. to show from where I came. 
to show from where I came. Yeah, yeah. that's it. To wear the scars to show from where I came um, is is that is that lower class thing that we're trying to talk about the working class. Yeah, that's, that's all I had to say. There, there's there's then, sort of that again. I'm going to use the word again. Juxtaposition uh, of wanting to be proud of where you came from and like display it without having to justify it, but also recognizing that like being the only way that you can show from where you came is to wear scars is very self-destructive and nihilistic. Mm. And then you've got the lyric that then work came and made us free. What was it said above the, um, yeah. the camps and the Holocaust? A bit um, Frey was written above uh, the entrance to the death camps. Um, yeah. yeah. Which means work will set you free. Yeah. Yeah. Libraries gave us power. This idea that knowledge is power. Um, and that th- there's again, juxtaposition of those two lines knowledge is power and work will set you free this kind of idea that the working class actually often don't have access to that higher education um and and don't have access to the knowledge which would make uh the more powerful i'm kind of talking in like more kind of vague terms here but and then the idea that they're kind of forced into work at a young age um work will come and make you free that there's also the a very literal juxtaposition of those two images which is that libraries gave us power comes from knowledge is power which is written above an entrance to a library in newport which is very close to where the manics recorded this album yeah uh, not recorded this album started writing this album sure and work will set you free was written above the door to a death camp rather than a library yeah which is a very nice piece of visual storytelling i think and a lot that would just get completely lost on the people that just hear it on the radio every half an hour, right? And 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 sing along, which is quite nice, though. Isn't that great that that became like? It, Again, I, I think I say it every episode. C- this is what I love about Manic Street Preachers: these big pop songs that relate, you know, that everybody finds relatable on a very base level. Have all of these interesting things behind them as soon as you start looking into the context and what the lyrics like actually mean. They're kind mean. of infiltrating. Them. Yeah, exactly. It's <laughs> yeah, very yeah. cool. Lucas is completely tuned out by this point. I think he's playing a game on his computer. Yeah. How's Solitaire going? I'm playing uh playing Solitaire. Yeah, yeah it's cool, well. great. <laughs> no, I'm not I'm actually just I'm actually just scrolling through my notes. Do you know what I love about Solitaire is is when you beat it and they just bounce around the screen. That's fantastic. That is uh, I've, I don't think what I've What would you solitaire. give that out of ten, Lucas? What Solitaire? Yeah. Uh uh one. Oh, okay. But that that's is good. higher than two. Because that's the top spot, number one. Yeah. Number one in the charts. Oh shit! So does that mean that? So does that mean that? Does that mean I gave Holy Bible the highest score so far of all the all the albums? I suppose so. Yeah. Oh shit! Because it's definitely not because I didn't really like it. It's a shit. Especially if if. (laughs) Especially you don't think it's a shit album. No, I'm just trying to stir the pot. Especially because Mm. I I don't know if you guys have been doing the same, but I've been doing this as like golf scoring, so the lowest score wins. So when you gave Holy Bible to ten out of ten, I hate it. Yeah. Yeah. Way, way oh above God. par. Luckily, I'm very middling. <laughs> um, I really like this song. I think that, like, I think, I think you could lump this song in with "Common People" by Pulp because they're they're kind of saying very similar things, like this. <clears throat> yeah, actually, that's a good this point. This voyeuristic working class 
uh, ideal being explored more closely and and uh, what's the lyric in common people about there's nothing left to do but uh drink and work and screw is and that screw. it yeah 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 and that's very much saying that uh, that's probably what people thought about the um working class exactly that's and all they had to do what i've written down is that this song is about <laughs> the infantilization of the working class and how it's how the working class is is shown as dumbed down by the media and this idea that if you're working class you must be stupid which is like but then again that goes completely what you said before is that they didn't have access to to it so therefore they had no chance anyway yeah quite possibly i mean it's not helped by the media's um depiction of oasis um and so like i think that this song is 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 an attempt to take the term or phrase working class or their own heritage back from the media and i think i was gonna say because the Manics were, well, you told us in like the first ever episode, I think, that they were, they, they came from a very working class background. Yeah, they're from mining spent, families. But then they spent a lot of time just reading books and, and trying to make themselves, to give themselves as much knowledge as they could. Exactly. Which is very much the antithesis of what the sort of standard view. Stereotype. Yeah. yeah the stereotype would which be. Which is yeah. another reason that I think this is one of the best Manic songs, if not my favourite, is that it, it sums up the band. You know, this idea that they're working class sitting around reading books trying to further their knowledge is, is basically sums up this whole song. Like, the, the whole band is summed up in this idea, I think. And, where, and you know, they, they like it shows a shift at this point in their career as well because they used to write about, like, global concerns like capitalism and politics and were very much outside of the things that they were talking about. Where this is very grounded and personal. Exactly. Like, they've kind of... What's the word I'm making for? Like, like they're turning their attention to, like their own upbringing and their own class and their own situation. Do you know what I mean? It, it, it's a very personal yeah. lyric and I think you can tell that it operates on that uh, that notion, that idea. There, there's, also there's, though, yeah, sorry, go on. I've written it's banging. And that's the other thing, is it's a <laughs> fucking banger. <laughs> like, it's such a good song. Um, and there's loads of like influence in there and it's like cinematic and it's epic and but it's still quite sad and it feels important and euphoric and there's bits of it that sound like the strings of like sound like Ennio Morricone and uh the chord progression and melody there's a wonderful bit in the the strings where it goes I'm sorry I'm going to do this I've got to listen to this and then it goes do you know what I mean? Yeah. It just suddenly goes this fucking massive bit. I love that. Yeah, it's great. That's and bits bit of it well. sound like Summer Wind by Frank Sinatra, which I oh, really, really like. I think the chords are slightly similar. There, there is a quote. Hang on, hang on, hang on, hang on, hang on, hang on. I've Does the summer wind like f- breeze through the leaves and the bushes? I don't want to do I know do what you're trying anymore. to do, Luke. Yeah. I don't want to do well, it I'm, I'm out. I <laughs> no, don't want to do it. No, you don't, you're out. I'll remember yeah. that next time you do a fucking terrible Bruce Springsteen bit. <laughs> I don't remember ever doing a terrible... Oh no! Sorry, you did a really excellent and successful one that people really yeah. liked. Here's yeah, the yeah, qu- yeah, here is to... shut up, shut up, shut up, shut up, shut up. No, let us bicker like the children that we are. Yeah, 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 yeah,
The Manics were the perfect distillation of the high hopes the working classes can achieve through music. They had intelligence and sensuality and beauty and subverted anything that people might assume about them. But there was also anger and frustration, which I think can only come from people who have had to fight tooth and nail in their formative years to be creative. That's something that just can't come from people who would been a, in a in a high-powered city job if they weren't in a band. Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah, 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 yeah. <laughs> just I love that quote. Um, also, yeah, nice. you know, there's no there's no guitar solo. The solo is done by like strings. Yeah, yeah. The strings. Oh God, I'm doing it. The strings are basically a lead instrument in this song. Mm. The chords are insane. Can I talk about chords again? I promise. Okay, I tell you what. This will be the last time I talk about chords. I prefer chords. jeans, but it's fine. Great. This will be the last time I talk about chords. <laughs> um, it's a C major 7th to a D minor ninth, <laughs> which are fine. Okay. Oh, fine. Okay, great. Good They're one. fine. Yeah, fine chords. Those are normal like chords. Wine. But it then switches oh. to a B7, which is... <laughs> which, oh, cl- not a B7. Which one is an insane switch to have to make in the position on the fretboard that James plays oh, it okay. on. And it's followed... By an E flat major seventh and a D minor seventh, uh, yeah, D minor seventh, and they're very, very complex chords. And I think that what makes this song so successful is that in the verses, those complex chords create tension. Like they're quite unpredictable, and they create a lot, like quite a, quite a clenched feeling, which is then released Ooh. by the by the chorus, which is just D minor to G. Like they're just standard kind of open chords that that ring out and are very euphoric, and I think that that's massively helped mm. by the structure of the song. Yaz chords. Do you want to hear my one complaint about this song? Please. Um, the second verse is just a repetition of the second half of the first verse. <laughs> okay. And we yeah. saw well, this in terms of lyrics. Yes. And we. Do you find that lazy? Yeah. And we saw it on. Um, Elvis impersonator as well Steve you pointed out mm. that it's just the yeah. opening is just the same two verses in a row yeah we're moving away from fitting so many words into an album that it's you know impossible to keep up with them to repeating the same bits in one you song which the next song <laughs> there's a chorus oh yeah I suppose that one. So. yeah yeah um um, which I find a little bit disappointing but is also probably the thing that enabled them to become much more popular and fit into the mainstream and have their message spread to more people. But also, importantly, you can actually make out the lyrics, which is quite nice. Yes, you can. The, the... So so how do you feel about the lyrics then, Lucas? Bear in mind, you could make them out this time. Bear in mind, I could make them out. Um... <sighs> yeah, all right. <laughs> Unbelievable. <sighs> that, well, I, 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 already, I already did my bit. I talked about the class differences no, I know. and all that all that I just stuff. love it when you're just like oh it's fine yeah absolutely <laughs> gutted that i've asked you to talk on your own podcast <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> oh just talk to me when we, when i can make another sean moore joke <laughs> yeah but i'm, I'm assuming when i can make more sean moore jokes are you I, sure you want more i don't that's quite good. i don't get it are we sean we want more i don't get it it sounds like Sean he's Moore. the drummer of he's drummer of Manic Street Preachers. Yeah, he's the drummer of the band. Now I get it. Yeah, it is. Uh, yeah, no, like I said, I think this song is decent. It's not in my top three on this album, even okay. I would say. Really? Okay, okay. that's good. 
Uh, it's good though. It's good. I it's wonder good song. if it's got that fatigue. Of, yeah, that's uh, the thing. It might just be just... like I've heard this song a million times. Sort of thing. Yeah. So, um, moving on slightly, we talked about whether or not you know we should try and do this uh, album in one episode. Oh yeah. Uh, and we're just coming up to probably an hour and forty minutes. Should we stop here? And One, do... Another bit of feedback I've had has been make the episode shorter, but like, <laughs> no, I don't know how. I, do, I don't know how we waffle for so long. At this point, most albums are doubles, and this is it's getting silly. I mean, uh, yeah, a criticism I've had is that they're too long, and another criticism I've had is that we don't cover the B sides, and I don't know how we would f- do both. <laughs> I don't know how we'd make it shorter and cover more songs. This is the fourth <laughs> album we've covered, and so far only one has managed to be a single episode. Yeah, and I really thought we were going to do it but later in their career we will be able to get them into one episode because they get shit well there's less context and um Uh, yeah less kind of in my opinion i'm really interested to so oh talking about waffling i'm really interested to get in um bed to um to to the albums i have no idea about the later ones Mm, like yeah um that i imagine are going to be less interesting but maybe i'll be wrong so i think we're going to leave it here yeah now and we're going to come back after two songs yeah i know i know i know oh, yeah we had a lot but what of, um, you know what what, what would people want do you think they want two digestible episodes that are about two hours or do you think they want a five hour episode like what yeah. what would it uh, yeah yeah no it's fine do less is more we don't want to shoehorn more so. steve <laughs> steve, steve i missed yeah, yeah. just a little bit of admin i missed that uh elvis impersonator blackball pier is a richie lyric is it so there you go that's the first one there we go cool um Thank you very much for listening, everybody. We're going to start with Kevin Carter on the next episode. Um, yeah. Find Wait, us is on he a guest? F- find us on the tweets. I'm just, uh, just uh, fed up of Lucas now. <laughs> I wouldn't be surprised if we replace Lucas for the second part of this episode. Yeah. Um, with Little Russell. <laughs> Hello. Find- oh, no. Little Russell's here. I mean, as annoying as people might, as, as annoying as I may be, I'm sure people fucking hate that. Yeah, I know. <laughs> well, let us know on Twitter if you'd rather. I mean, have has anyone Lucas... given any feedback about the fucking ghost of Michael Jackson? Because no, weirdly not. But don't he hasn't so. turned up. Well, he was, he was he... mainly in your living room. Well, he was yeah. fucking awful. He was. Well, let, let us know on Twitter if you prefer to have Lucas or Little Russell as a permanent fixture of the podcast. <laughs> yeah, uh, and find us on Twitter at Monic. <sighs> <laughs> uh, try again. Every time, Monix podcast. Monix po- po- podcast is what I always say. Right, so find us on Twitter at Manix Podcast. Find us on Instagram at Manix Podcast. We've had a few nice emails, which we'll get to in a future bonus episode. You can email us at uh, Manix Podcast at gmail dot com. Thank you so much Lovely for listening, stuff. and uh, yeah, we will see you next time on Do You Love Us, and remember. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. That we yes. live mm-hmm. in urban hell, and yeah. and I'm listening. We destroy rock and roll. Yeah. Bye. Because I'm free.